Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Good morning everyone at Ballyhalbert, anyone else tuned in, and especially to Glenn this morning. Good morning to you, Glenn, as we meet celebrating with you that you're heading off to your new ministry in London. And uh, also, we're sad to see you go, but we want you to know that our prayers go with you. So God bless you as you head off. Uh, we're going to come to God's word, so let's let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, that you love us so much that you've given us this incredible book that is alive and active and works right into our hearts. Especially this morning, we pray for Glenn as he heads off to London and his family. And that you'll take good care of him, Lord. Thank you that we entrust him into the best hands there are into your hands. And so this morning, we come to you to hear from you, from your word, because that is what we need. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, and if you don't, you can... Pause this and go and find one. Uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read you the first chapter. It will take about three minutes. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him 
for that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. As I've been thinking about Glenn this week, I was drawn to, to Timothy. And as I read it more and more, I was struck by this man's incredible passion, Paul's incredible passion for Jesus Christ. And it even comes across even deeper when you realise the circumstances in which it is written. This is Paul's last letter. He won't write another. This is him taking up his pen for the last time. His whole passion is to hand, to entrust the gospel to Timothy, one of the last men standing, it seems, in the province of Asia, a vast area where Paul had planted churches everywhere. And yet Paul says, everyone in Asia has deserted me. Timothy, I need you to carry the gospel forward. And it blows my mind that Paul is not writing this from some comfortable settee or some comfortable office chair or anywhere else, but he's writing it from a dungeon and he's lost everything. Let me read you a little introduction from Max Licato's uh, Stuffy Bible. It says this, I have kept the faith. They have taken everything else. They have taken his freedom. He's locked in a Roman prison. They have taken his possessions. He hasn't even a shawl to keep him warm. They have taken his churches. He will not see them again. They have taken his future. He is sentenced to death. What do you have left, Paul? What do you have left to show for your life? Had you stayed a Jew in Jerusalem, you'd have a seat of status and a house of retirement. Had you been more compromising, you might have gone unnoticed by the Romans. Had you been less passionate, you might have pastored a church and stayed in one city. But you, Paul, were too convinced to compromise, too convicted to stay at home. And now with the end in sight, with the verdict rendered and the end in sight, 
what do you have left? The old apostle leans forward with a twinkle in his eye and says, I have kept the faith. And that blew my mind as I thought about that during this week. Paul has nothing left. This great man who could have had everything in life. But Jesus sought him out on the road to Damascus. And when Jesus found him and brought him to his knees on that road, Paul realised that the only thing in life worth living for was Jesus. And to all of you folk, and to me, I challenge us this morning. In the words of the Bee Gees 1970s hit, how deep is your love for Jesus? Do you know him? Have you got him as your saviour like Paul did? Paul, in this horrible dungeon, and it blows my mind is able to say still he could have changed his mind do you think paul now it's time to wise up you're an old you're an old man you might as well go free for the rest of your life ease off a bit but paul simply says in that dungeon as he grabs his quill for the last time paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. He's about to be executed on the Austrian Way, just outside of Rome. Not long after this letter was written, Paul was beheaded by the Romans because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he had nothing left, but he said, I have kept the faith. Listen, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He knows he has nothing, but he knows he has everything. And this morning I'm proud of my nephew, Glenn. Because it's a huge step to leave your home and your mum and dad on a quiet road just outside a little village called Ballywalter on the Ards Peninsula and to head off to a vast metropolis called London where the cultural differences are extreme. He could have stayed at home. And Glenn, I wore, I, I challenge you this morning to go with all the passion that Paul has that's why he's writing to Timothy as he does I have kept the faith and he's saying to him I need you now Timothy and he's saying to you this morning Glenn and he's saying to all of us I need you now to carry that same faith forward to the generations that are ahead of us Paul had a deep relationship with Timothy. He had known him from a young age. Timothy had came to faith through Paul's preaching. 
And he writes to Timothy and he says, my dear son, in the midst of being sentenced to death for being a follower of Jesus Christ, he writes, my dear son, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy, all I have is Jesus. And Timothy, all you really have is Jesus. What, what do we have in life? All listening, what do we really have in life? A house, the mortgage paid off maybe, car and a drive. And we don't know if we have a breath tomorrow. I think Paul's an incredible challenge. He has nothing, but he says, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. What happens when that day comes for you? Will you have anything? Because all this stuff goes. So we send to Timothy. Timothy. Take the gospel on. You have a heritage in the faith. I first saw, listen what he calls it. He simply calls it your sincere faith. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And you, Glenn, you have a grandmother who has a sincere faith through the deepest difficulties in life and through tears. I remember 40 years ago, her saying to me, God has a purpose in everything he does. I mean, I would go to her with my problems 20, 30 years later, she'd still simply say, remember son, God has a purpose and everything that he does. And that is sincere faith. And your mum, around Bally Walter, has sincere faith. All the work she's done over the years with the GB and, and in different ways in the church. A sincere faith. And we in Bally Halbert see that faith of sincerity in you too, Glenn. But what does Paul say to do with that sincere faith? Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And Glenn, I asked you, as you go to London, don't go half-heartedly and don't go uh, lukewarm. Please don't go cold. Go excited. Go fired up. Go by the power of God and the power of God will never, of course, fail you. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you, says Paul. And we see that gift in you, Paul. You have a gift to communicate with people, young people that some of us can't communicate with at all. People of different ages. 
You've been given a gift. You've been given an incredible mind and a gift to study God's word and to put it forward to other people. You've been given a gift where you give of yourself and you don't hold back. And we're so pleased that we've been part of your lives in your family and in your church. So Paul says, fan all that into flame. Make that your passion. Live for Jesus 100%. In the end, he is all you will have. And he will bestow on you a crown of glory that far outweighs everything that you could ever own on earth. So says Paul to Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul is just saying here, people have deserted me, Timothy. And there's been a lot of pressure on those people to desert me. And when you get into the company of, when you really get into the world trying to serve the Lord, there is going to be a lot of pressure on you. And there's a lot of pressure on all of us to conform to the world. But Paul says, never lose heart or never lose sight of this. Don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. That's all that matters. Hold on to the good deposit that has been entrusted to you guard it says paul but not by your own strength glenn or timothy or all of us but guard it by the holy spirit who lives in us you know that everyone in the province of asia has deserted me including two of the leaders figelis and homogenous they've all scattered but you, I want you to be faithful. And then he gives us, as I finish, this uh, example of one man who didn't scatter. Let me tell you a fictitious story of an army officer in the First World War whose name was unassumingly Horace. And in the officers' mess, when they got special supplies of food and fresh water, which the ordinary soldiers hardly ever got any of, Horace, instead of keeping it all for himself, would just take a sip of the water and a little bit of the food, and he'd give the rest to his ordinary soldiers that were under his care. He refreshed them with his supplies rather than keeping them to himself. And he became a bit of a joke among the other officers and they called him One Sip Horace. As I said, that's a fictitious story. But One Sip Horace actually does exist. Look at verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. One sip, Horace, 
because says Paul, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains for Christ. Glenn, we're proud that you have shown yourself to be a man who doesn't hold back everything for himself. You give of yourself for the Lord. You're certainly a person who would take one sip and share the rest with everyone else. And so as we release you to London to serve the Lord there with all of your heart, with your heart aflame, with your gift fanned into flame, that gift that you certainly have, our prayers go with you and our prayers are with your family at home. And just I, I leave the challenge to the people in Bally Halbert, to myself and to the people in London, pray for for Glenn as he goes into this ministry, there'll be good days and bad days, tough days and good days and days of joy and fun and fulfillment and days of, of difficulty. Pray for him through all of those days that the Lord would bless him, that he would guard the good deposit in him, guard it by the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives in him. And may he be like this man in Asaphorus who refreshes other people, who cares about other people and doesn't hold back. Remember his family at home, they'll miss him. This is a huge thing for them too. So we pray for Shirley and Thomas and Andrea and Matthew and Finley and Granny Jess. And we commit you, Glenn, into the best hands there are, the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may lose everything, but simply please keep the faith.